Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the Word of God together. I just, for me, I don't know, maybe it's my old age, but I've, in, my, in my relationship with the Lord, I love the Lord so much, and I value the Lord so much. And I was praying the other day, and kind of my prayer was this. I said, God, if you never do anything for me, if you never do anything for me, I would never turn my back on you. I'm not serving you for what you do for me. I believe you are God. I believe Christ was the Messiah, and I will gladly give my life and follow you and love you and serve you if, if you don't do anything else the way I suggest, and I have a lot of suggestions, everybody. If you don't do anything else, but I was just, I just, I love God, and I love the Word of God, and I love, I just think standing for the Word of God is a way for us to say, this is not just another book, but this is the Word of God, and, um, and, and so we're going to stand and, and read it together. Romans chapter 15, um, verse 17. I'm going to read kind of an interesting verse here. I've never preached on this verse, but this is what I felt like where the Lord wants us to start. We're going to work around and get right back to this verse. Um, but it says, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what God has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Notice that, what I have said. This is Paul. He's saying, God used me to bring the Gentiles to faith. Some of them, we know it started with Peter at Cornelius' house. But, but he's saying, God used me to bring the Gentiles to obey him. And the way God used me was in something I said and something I did. Now, luckily for us, Paul's about to qualify that. Verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul, how did you fully proclaim the gospel of Christ? By the power of signs and wonders. Do you see that? Today I want to talk to you. I called the message this, Miracle Workers. Miracle Workers. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you today for this moment. Thank you, God, for all that you're doing. God, we have gathered in your presence and you are here and ultimately, God, we just ask that you would speak so clearly to us. God, you said those who thung, hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Lord, fill us today as we hunger and thirst for your truth, for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. We started two weeks ago, or I should say two weeks ago, I we, we talked and, and, and we talked about miracles, and we kind of answered the question, does God still do miracles? Does God still do miracles? And I can't share that message. I'd encourage you to go back. If you, if you missed that one, it's on YouTube, Spotify, podcast, website, app. You can get it, right? But I really wanted to look at it not just to say, well, I come from this background or this denomination or I went to this Bible school, therefore I believe this. But I'm not that way. I'm very inquisitive. So just because I've been taught something doesn't mean that I just believe that. For me, I, I have to investigate. I'm just naturally inquisitive. And where I love to start is I love to start with the Word of God. Obviously, to me, that is the authority. And, and God's not going to do anything outside of His Word. He's, he's not going to do anything that contradicts His Word. I believe in the authority of Scripture. And so we started talking about miracles. We asked this question. We said, does God still do miracles? Now, a lot of people in our church would easily say that, yes. And they would say that because they've experienced a miracle or they've seen a miracle. In fact, I shared a couple of miracles that I've seen in my family. In fact, we, we read some research that said a lot of people, in fact, a lot of people have, have seen miracles, experienced miracles. And, and so we looked at it theologically. We looked at it apologetically. We looked at it philosophically. And, and then we just looked at data and we, we kind of came to this place like, yeah, God still does miracles. And I think probably most of our church, I think probably most of our church would kind of land there. Yes, I believe God can do miracles. He's God. 
But today I want to kind of look at this from a different angle, and that is if God does miracles, and we said we believe he does, then the question then is, well, how does God do these miracles? That's a question we need to answer. How does God, how does God do these miracles? Now, when we're talking about miracles and how God does miracles, I think, I think one of the things that we need to acknowledge up front is there's a lot of different views. There's a lot of different experiences. Um, in fact, in our culture, one of the things I'm concerned about in our culture is because now we're postmodern, you understand? So, so modern, we kind of move from faith to reason. And then when we get to postmodern, we kind of move from reason to feeling. And what I've found, because I'm on Instagram and, and I'll put a video out or a sermon clip or that type of thing. And, um, and I get comments and they're interesting comments. Because what I've noticed is uh, people out there no longer care about truth. They actually just, they're attracted to whatever validates their feeling, not whatever is actually true. And in fact, what, what blew me away just a, a week or so ago, I, I put out a, a, a comment and, or something, and, and I started, I've gotten this several times, and it's the same argument, but it's basically telling me that Jesus Christ was a myth, that he never existed. And I thought, well, that's interesting. See, when I grew up, back when the educational system was about educating and not indoctrinating, um, Jesus Christ was actually in the textbook. Right, He was actually, because he's a historical figure, and he was a very impactful historical figure, so he was actually, in our history textbooks, world history textbooks, we had a section about Jesus. Now, I didn't say that he was God. I mean, obviously, those things could be debated, whatever, but it just, he's a historical figure, and there was a section in there about, and, and so when I started getting all this, I'm like, how can people not understand Jesus Christ, was, whether you believe he's the Christ or not, Jesus of Nazareth was a historical person. We, I mean, we have... Pagan sources, Jewish sources, Roman sources that all tell us that, that he existed outside of the Bible. And, and when I engaged a couple of people with comments, because I like to try to figure out where they're coming from, the comments got very circular in that, well, Jesus Christ never existed, therefore there's no eyewitness or testimony of his existence. And then if you offered proof of his existence, they would say there's no proof of his existence because he never existed. And he never existed, so there's no proof of his existence. But he didn't exist, so there's no proof. There's no proof because he didn't exist. And I'm like, you understand, I didn't say, I would never say this because I need to be nice. But I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> because it's circular reasoning. It's, it's, you're not reasoning any fact or any truth. It's just presupposition. And what I realized, these people don't want Jesus Christ to exist. That's why he doesn't exist to them. Once he exists, then I got to go to the next place. Well, was he who he said he was? Right? And then if I go down that road and, well, he was who he said he was, then I got to decide, am I going to give my life to? Right? But if I stay down here and just say, no, he doesn't exist because I don't feel like he existed. Right? And so it's very interesting in the world in which we live a lot of our beliefs in our culture are really based on what we feel. And they're based on what we want to be true and what we want to validate us. And not. There is no search for truth anymore. And I think that's why I want to do messages like this. Like, let's go back to the Word of God, which is truth. According to Jesus, your, His Word is truth, John 17. Not a truth, the truth. And let's study that together because when you get inside the church, see, outside the church, some of their beliefs are just based on their feelings, honestly. A lot of people's beliefs outside the church, in our culture, most people's theology or beliefs or whatever, just completely based on their feelings. No truth, no facts, just they, whatever. But when we get inside the church, this is where we have to wrestle because many times, listen to me, a lot of times our theology inside the truth, inside the church, our theology, like we believe the truth of God's word, but how we interpret it, how we understand it, our theo theological understanding and basis of it is really based on our experience. Especially in this area of miracles or signs or wonders or healings or those type of things, many times we start creating a theology around our experience. And, and understandably so. So if you're like, oh, you're no, 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 no. I have to wrestle with this too. 
Because inside the church, there is a spectrum of belief when it comes to miracles, signs, wonders, healings, those type of things. We have to acknowledge this. There are people all the way on this side, sometimes sensationalists, sometimes, you know, cessationists, not sensationalists, cessationists. They're, they're, they're not Satanists, cessationists, wonderful people, but they don't necessarily believe miracles, gifts of the Spirit, those type of things. And then you can get over here on on on. <laughs> sensationist, right? Um, you can get way over here where God heals every time. God does it every time, miracle every time. And, and what I've found is we have those extremes in the church and kind of everything in the middle. But when I really boil it down, and, and I would say, pop, those are all based on different things. Over here, um, maybe this belief is based on I didn't experience a miracle, so I don't believe in miracles. Over here, this, this belief is usually rooted in, I mean, I've heard the arguments over here. If you're a sensationalist, sometimes it can be an emotional thing. But if you step inside of that, you know, and you do get uh, some teachings like Word of Faith teachings. I'm not saying I'm for any of these. I'm just trying to help us think. Are you with me? Like, my job is to help us. Sensationalists. Uh, you know, your Pentecostals, Charismatics, and they're like, no, it's God's will to heal every time. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying that's what they believe. But what I've found is, I'm pointing out, so there are people that don't believe it's God's will to really heal at all. There are people that believe it's God's will to heal every time. And then most people land in the middle. Most people land in the middle. And we land in the middle because we don't know this one. We can't. There's too many miracles to say God doesn't do miracles. But our experience has told us God didn't do it every time. Right? And so most people land in the middle, and unfortunately, and I'm not saying that's wrong, right? Trust me, if you've had to wrestle this out, and if you've been, so just so you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic here for just a minute, and even empathic. I know what it's like to pray for a miracle and not see it, times 100. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I've prayed for the miracle and then done the funeral. You understand? And, and you have to wrestle this out. So we're just wrestling together. But to wrestle it out, I can't rely on experience. Because my experience in a fallen world cannot give me perfect theology about a perfect God. Right? An imperfect person in an imperfect world, the only way they can get to understanding God is we've got to look to a perfect person. Right? Because ultimately Jesus is perfect theology. Right? He is the express image of God. It's the very expression of him. And so, so ultimately, for me to figure out where God is, see, I, sometimes we kind of know where we are in some degree, but where's God on this deal? Where most people, I think, camp out, and this is what I want to talk about today, is they kind of camp out in this, in this place of random acts of godness. Meaning what I mean by that is they say, well, I, I don't say God doesn't do miracles because maybe I've heard of one, maybe I've seen one, Maybe I experienced one. So God does miracles, but I don't know how God does miracles, and he doesn't do miracles all the time, it seems, based on my experience. So my experience tells me miracles happen, but I don't really know how they happen. I, there's no, no part. In other words, it's, in a way, it's like there's no part for me to play. I'm not really involved in this whatever. God just does whatever God does, and those are random acts of kindness like miracle roulette of some kind of thing like that person maybe this person maybe not that person this person not that person and this is where people land and unfortunately we land there by experience but we never go back to the word of God and say well what does God say what does God actually think what does not what is my experience but what does God want me to believe because ultimately I need to believe in God not my experience And so what I want to do, just we're talking about miracle workers. We're going to talk about how God does miracles. We're going to look at the Bible, and I'm going to quickly, prayerfully quickly, we're going to look at a lot of different lenses, and I, I want to show you something, right? And I want us to build what we believe on the Bible, on the Word of God, not, not just experience. So when you talk about miracles in the Bible, how many miracles were in the Bible? Well, it depends. It's a little subjective because it depends on how you count a miracle and what you call a miracle, and some are kind of grouped together, but you'll hear some theologians say there's 120-something miracles, some say 160-something miracles, and some say there's means 240-something, about 200, just say round up 250 miracles in the Bible. Let's take the high number, 250 miracles. Well, when you look at the number of years of history and data we have in, in, the, in the Bible, 
if you average it out, that would be about one miracle every eight years. And so some people will use that data. They'll take that. They'll average it out. They'll use that data. And they'll say, you know what? God's really, miracles are not a big thing to God because, he, I mean, if you average it out, he does one about one every eight years. And logically, you're like, okay, maybe we're not even supposed to believe for miracles. I mean, maybe these were just random acts of godness, right? But for me, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's take a closer look. Let's take a closer look. So when we look at the New Testament, let's just go to the New Testament. Because after all, I mean, there's the Old Testament and it's valid. But the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, meaning the Old Testament is types and shadows, how God is the Old Covenant. And then there's a New Covenant of Grace. So let's just go New Testament. We're New Testament, New Covenant. Let's go New Covenant. Go to new. When you look at the New Testament, how many miracles do you see? Well, Jesus, depending, again, it's a little subjective, but around 37, 38 miracles that we see that he did in Scripture. Most people would be happy with that number. Most theologians would be happy with that number. When you look at the book of Acts, there's about 30 miracles in the book of Acts. It covers 33 years of history. It's the only historical book. There are 12 history books in the Old Testament, one history book in the New Testament. It's the book of Acts, 33 years of history, about 30 miracles. Peter and Paul, two of the most powerful apostles in the New Testament, Technically, if you add up their miracles together, they combine for 18 miracles that we can see in Scripture. And a lot of people kind of stop there, and, and this is the argument that they would make. You know, again, they, we can't really see a pattern. We don't really know what's going on, but here's what we think. God anointed these special messengers, these apostles, with the power to do miracles, and miracles weren't that important because even Jesus, who was God, only did about 37 miracles they're just random things, so either they ceased with the apostles or there's really no basis to believe them, etc. Or, yes, God does miracles, but we don't really know how or when or who or what he's going to do. And that's kind of where people leave it. But I think we got to dig deeper than that. Like, I want to dig deeper than that. Because when you look at it, that's true. You know, Jesus is about 37 miracles. Acts is about 30 miracles. That's about one every, you know, year or so in the book of Acts. But then we got to say, well, but was it just the apostles that did miracles? Well, when you, when you go to the New Testament, that's not true. Uh, I'll, I'll give you some in a minute. In fact, I have a, a list that's pretty cool. But I know in the New Testament, like I ask, because I ask questions, I'm inquisitive. I'm like, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm thinking about this or I'm looking at this or this person saying this. But we know it wasn't just the apostles that did miracles because we know Stephen did miracles. We know Philip. Now, Philip, and we're going to read Acts chapter 8 in just a minute. There's two Philips, and we get this confused because there's Philip the Apostle and Philip the Evangelist, and, and they're not the same. And so a lot of people see Philip, and they think that's Philip the Apostle, but it's actually Philip the Evangelist in Acts chapter 8, and he's doing miracles, and Stephen's doing miracles, and Barnabas is doing miracles. And it's like, okay, well, now we have some people that aren't apostles doing miracles. And then we have this kind of crazy verse from the Apostle Paul who did strange miracles, which, I don't know about you. Okay, can, hey, can we pray this just for fun? God may not answer it, but wouldn't it be a blast? This is what I've been praying lately. God, would you do strange miracles at Pathway? I don't know what it was, but I'm like, that had to be cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, why not just ask? But look at First Corinthians. This is just moments with Marty here. Anyways. 1 Corinthians, the way my brain works, but 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now look at this verse. It says, and God has appointed, that word appointed means to set in, to place in, to put in. God has appointed these in the church, all right, the church. Are we the church? Does the church exist today? Yeah. Is there like a universal church? I'm not talking about universalist. I'm talking about a universal global church. Because there's, there's, Paul didn't put any parameters. Like He put these in the church for you know 100 years. He put these in the church until the Bible is canonized and we have a full Bible. He said, God has appointed these in the church. First, apostles, prophets, teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. You know what I think is crazy about this? Most every Protestant, evangelical, but we'll just say Protestant, they would believe, well, we believe there's teachers. Got to teach those children in the way they should go. So when they're old, they will not depart from it. 
right? Teach, I'm a, I've been a Sunday school teacher, right? I mean, technically, I'm teaching right now. Do we believe in administration? Every church has an administrator, or at least an administrative assistant to assist in the administration. Do we believe in helps? Every church has a serve team where people help, or they have an outreach team where people help. Isn't it interesting? We believe in like a third of this verse, but it's just one verse. Because you can say, do you believe God puts people in the church to teach? Yes, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a life group leader. Oh, our pastor's a good teacher. Do you believe God puts people in the church to help others? Oh, yes, I love serving and I love helping. And I know ultimately Jesus took the form of a servant. And we should take the form of a servant. Do you believe God calls people to administration? Yes, I have a friend who's gifted and in his business or in his company, God has anointed him like Joseph to administrate. And that's a powerful, powerful tool in the hands of God where he's a light in darkness because of his gift to administrate. Do you believe God put miracles in the church? No, I I don't know about that. What about gifts of healing? What about apostles? No, they scare me. What about prophets? They're weird. I'm just saying what it says. God put these in the church. Well, here's what I'm saying, Pathway. If God wants miracles in the church, well, shouldn't we want miracles in the church? We should. I mean, if God wants Healing in the church, shouldn't we want healing in the church? Now, I know I'm very simple, and I get accused all the time of being very simplistic because I can make things very, very simple, and the world can make things very, very complicated. But I'm just saying, if God wants it in there, shouldn't we have it in there? So then we say, well, but, but you know, there again, we're looking at this New Testament church, and the New Testament church, you know, is, is, I mean, Scripture, what covers, I mean, we have the life of Jesus around 33, you know, the, but the last book of the New Testament is written around 90, so we got, you know, 50 years or so in this 50 years of the New Testament. We just don't have a lot of miracles. The life of Jesus, we have 37. But then I ask a question, but is every miracle listed? Oh, because you got to do it. Come on, we got to do a little investigative research here. Is every miracle listed? Well, let's talk about Jesus. Here's what John said about Jesus. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. And since I remember reading this in Bible school and thinking that's so cool. John 21, 25, it says, There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, that, we're just talking about Jesus right now, but listen to this. This is what John said. I wrote a little bit so you'd understand. But if I tried to write down every miracle and everything that Jesus did, there's not enough papyrus. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to run out of papyrus. What about the apostles, though? Well, this is how, when the Holy Spirit comes back to the church at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, this is what it says. And great fear came upon every soul. That's awe or wonder. Came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders, those are miracles. Many, 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 many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Well, that tells us right now we don't have every one of them. What about people who were not apostles? All right, what about Stephen? Well, Stephen, Acts 6 and 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs. Not a wonder and a sign. Not a wonder and a sign. Did great wonders and signs. Time out. Let me say something to you also. We have 37 or 38 miracles of Jesus, but we also had four people who took upon themselves the assignment to record details about his life. I say that to say when you look at it, you say, well, Paul is fading away because he didn't do as many miracles and Peter didn't do as many miracles. We don't actually know that because no, we didn't have four people assigned to tell us the life of Paul. Had there been people assigned to tell us the life of Paul, who's to say Paul wouldn't have done 100 miracles? We know he did strange miracles. Pretty excited about that. We even know there were miracles that happened that we're not even sure how many happened because they would take his head cloths, his headbands, sweatbands essentially, and they would take his sweatbands and go lay them on people and they would be healed. But we don't know how many. So anyways, having said that, I'm just making the case that 
We'll just keep making the case. So Stephen, great wonders and signs. So he's not an apostle. He's essentially a deacon in the church, and he did great wonders and signs. And I'm saying to get a reputation for doing wonders and signs, he did more than one. And then there's Philip. This is the evangelist, Acts 8. And the multitudes with one accord, by the way, most theologians believe he was the first evangelist, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Well, what were the miracles? For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Not just one, not just once. This seemed to be a mark of Philip the evangelist's ministry. What about Barnabas, Acts 15, 12? Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them. How many? So here's, here's, here's what this says in the book of Acts. They were amazed at how many miracles they did. Sound like they just did a few? Well, and then there's the 70 or 72 uh, that Jesus, we call it the 70, it was 72, but Jesus sent them out, Luke 10, 8, whatever city you enter, receive such things set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near. And we know they did. And we don't know, we, I'm just saying if it was 72 people, there could have been 72 miracles, there could have been 2,000 miracles. Then there's the unnamed disciples. It says, John told him, this is Mark 9, 38. Now, John answered and said, Teacher, we saw some people who don't follow us casting out demons in your name, and we told them, stop it. And Jesus said, don't tell them to stop it. If they're, if they're for us, they're not against us. You know, don't, let, them, let them be. But here we, have unnamed, here we have a group of people that weren't even following Jesus, and they're doing signs and wonders. Then what about Galatians 3, 5? This is what Paul says. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Time out. You do understand the book of Galatians was not written to a church but a geographic area. So now most people think it's about six churches. This is what Paul says to six churches. People are working miracles in six churches. Right? Now, here's my favorite, because we've talked about Jesus, and he did more, a lot more miracles than we have in the Gospels. We're talking about you know, the, the apostles, and they did more miracles than we have in the books of the New Testament. We're talking about people who were not apostles, and they're doing lots of miracles that we can't really number. We have unnamed disciples, and they're doing signs and wonders, too. We now have churches in Galatia where it seemed the working of miracles seemed like some kind of common practice among all these New Testament churches in that region. But you know my favorite people who work miracles? And the Bible records them. In fact, do you believe the words that are in red? Do you believe those words? Because these are about to be in red, y'all. My favorite people that work miracles in the Bible were people that weren't Christians. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but let's read it. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 7, 22. Many, not one. Many will say to me in that day, that's judgment day. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, when I read that, here's what my mind, this is how I think. If someone who's not even in relationship with Jesus is doing miracles in his name, what's my excuse? Here's the point, and this is why I did all that. And you're like, praise God, there is a point. Yes, there is one. When you, when you read it that way, it sounds like there was a whole lot of miracles going on. Come on, Elvis, a whole lot of shaking going on. In fact, it almost seems like it was just normal in the New Testament church. Miracles were just a part of it. Whether you're in one of the Galatian churches or whether you're following Philip around or hanging out with Paul and Barnabas or whether you're with Stephen for the day, just seemed, signs and wonders, miracles just seemed, seemed to kind of be a normal. In, in fact, what we have here is what we know is there's a lot more miracles that happen than we have recorded in the text. 
So the question is, well, who works these miracles? How do these miracles happen? If, if you were to line up all the miracles of the Bible, after God created man, because I understand creation, that's the first miracle. But after God makes man, I could only find one miracle if you want to call it a miracle, and I think it qualifies as supernatural, that God did independent of any participation, understanding, knowledge, prayer, act of obedience, or faith of any man. And it's the Tower of Babel, where God confused the languages because they were in rebellion to him. Outside of that incident... When you look at hundreds of miracles throughout the Bible, hundreds of miracles throughout the Bible, what you find is not random acts of godness. What you actually find is God working with and through people. Now, I understand, you know, a lot of people, they, they, um, they use God's sovereignty. Right, and they 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 use the word well. God is sovereign, right? So God can do these random acts of godness because <laughs> He's sovereign. God can do whatever He wants to do. He's sovereign. The problem is, I don't think we really understand what the word sovereign means because sovereign tells me who God is. It doesn't tell me how God works. Sovereign tells me he's preeminent, he's above, he's above, he's above everyone, he's the highest authority, he's all-powerful, there is no one over him, he is over everything. Sovereign tells me who God is in a way, it tells me what his position is, it tells me what his power is, but it doesn't tell me how he works. So if I want to figure out how God works, I have to, I have to go back to the Bible and say, well, how, God, how do you do these miracles? How do you work? Because it is true that in power, God can do every, everything and anything that he wants to do whenever he wants to do it by power alone. He has the power. But the question is, is that how he works and how does he work? And what you have to understand, and I'm going to try to condense this for time, that by power, because he's sovereign, he can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. But we're not asking what God could do or when God could do it. We're asking, based on the miracles of the Bible, how did God do them? Well, let me boil it all down. God did them through people. He did them through people. In fact, God establishes a principle in Genesis that shows us the sovereignty of God and that He is all-powerful but yet this sovereign, almighty God, in a way, chooses to limit his activity on the earth through partnership with his creation. God creates man, Adam and Eve, and he says, be fruitful, multiply. Subdue means to, play, to, to put under you, to get under you. And take dominion means to rule or reign over. And so here's what he told Adam and Eve. He said, I want you to get creation under you and rule over it. This is why when it was time to name the animals that God created, Adam had to name them. Have you ever asked yourself, why did Adam have to name the animals? Is this just a fun exercise? Like, let's just bring these animals and see what Adam calls them today. Right? Why did Adam have to name it? God makes the animal, and then he brings them down, and he says, what do you want to call this? And he's like, duck. <laughs> what do you want to call this? Hippopotamus. And I want one for Christmas. Oh, that's terrible. That's a terrible joke. Terrible joke. Don't laugh at that. You'll encourage him. I think there are times where, you know, God's like, you see that right there? What do you want to call that? And, and, and Adam looks at him, he's like, Draft. And I think God's like, I'd call it a long neck yellow cow, but okay, giraffe is good. I don't know. You know, the point is, I don't know. But the reason, and listen to me, listen to this. Here's the principle. The reason Adam had to name them was because God will never give responsibility without authority. 
Now, this is good news. By the way, if, if, you're, if you're a parent, if you're a business owner, if you're a manager, you have employees, it's a great leadership principle. If, if you give someone authority without responsibility, they'll kill you in the company. But if you give them responsibility without authority, you'll kill them. So God understands these things work in tandem. They have to be balanced. And so God will never give you responsibility, rule and take dominion, where he hasn't given you the authority to rule and take dominion. Are you with me? So God in his sovereign power, the fact that he's almighty, he can do whatever he wants. But when it comes to the activity on the earth and what this bears out when you study the miracles of God is every time you see a miracle, you see someone praying, having faith, being obedient. Every time. Because God works in partnership with his people. In fact, I can give you a couple of verses because I think we should always have verses. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though Christ were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul actually says to the Corinthians, we've been given the, minister, the, we're, we're, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that God doesn't come down and preach the gospel. We have to. That God doesn't invite people to church. We have to. God doesn't go witness the people. That's what he's, he's told us. Go out into the highways and compel them to come in that my house will be filled. In other words, wouldn't it make sense that, that God ultimately has the power just to show up on, you know, in the middle of Dallas, Texas today or go on every news station and say, hello, everyone. I am God. Worship me. Powerfully enough, yes, he can do it. But why doesn't he do it? Because God will only work with and through his people. It's a principle that he's established and he will not violate it. That's why we have to go and we have to preach and we have to love and we have to serve and we have to give and we have to care. Do you see what I'm saying? Because this is the way God has chosen to work. We may disagree with it, but it's all through the Bible. It's the way he works. When we get to heaven, you can say, God, I think there'd been a better way. I'm sure he's intrigued to hear your opinion about like he's intrigued to hear mine. <laughs> the point is, this is how God works. He works in relationship with people. That's why when the, you know, Mark 16, if you accept the long ending of Mark 16, which I do, some people, Mark 16, where it gives the, the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel. These signs will follow them that believe. Most people say that, well, it was. There's debate on whether that should have been in Scripture or not. The reason I, 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 I took, we did textual criticism last week, so I'm not going to do it again. One of the reasons I believe that should be in there is because people did it. Right? He said, these signs are going to follow you that believe. And then when you read the book of Acts, those signs followed them that believed. Right? I mean, if it said, hey, these signs are going to follow you that believe purple unicorns are going to come down and sing Mary had a little lamb, and we read the rest of the New Testament and never see a purple unicorn, I'd say that shouldn't have been in the Bible. Somebody had pizza. Bad pizza. Right? But the bottom line, it says the Lord, this is Mark 16, 20, the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by signs and wonders. So what Paul's telling the Romans, Paul's telling the Romans, in this I've fully preached the gospel. In this I've fully preached the gospel by performing signs and wonders, by doing signs and wonders. Think about this. This is what he said. This is Paul. He's pretty good at preaching the gospel. He said, this is what it is to fully preach the gospel. Performing signs and wonders. Remember what I said? God doesn't give responsibility without authority. There's a theologian that I greatly respect. Has a lot of great stuff. Now, we differ on some things. One of the things we differ on is he kind of looks at miracles like God is able, but they're random acts of godness. They're not necessarily needed today because we have the Bible. And that's not an uncommon theological stance. But he said something that I thought was the greatest argument against what he just said he believed. And I was like, that is it. Because here's what he said. He said, it's true. We see miracles in the Bible. Absolutely. If God created the universe, God can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it. You know, and I don't disagree. Tracking. But he's like... But, you know, miracles aren't necessary today because we have the Bible, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm listening. And then he says this. 
He says, and he's making his point. He said, because the truth is, miracles were always used by God to confirm the message God was sending. And he said, when you study the Bible, he's not wrong, by the way, when you study the Bible, you'll find clusters of miracles everywhere someone is given a message. It's true. Moses is given a message. Let my people go. And you get a cluster of miracles. Right? You do. You get frogs and locusts and blood. Right? And, and, and then you get Red Seas parting and you get miracles. Right? And then when you look at Elijah and Elisha, you have these messages to Israel and you have these miracles. And then when you get to Jesus, you have this message Right? In fact, I'll read you a couple verses where, where Jesus, Matthew 4, 23, and Jesus went about Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So there you have a message, and it's a new message. He's been anointed to preach a message, and you have these miracles, right? Same thing in Matthew 9, Jesus preached the gospel, healed all the sick, right? And then you have the disciples, Luke 9, again, they're given this message, the apostles are giving this message. And he said, he called his 12 together and gave them power and authority over demons to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the gospel. So there you have, preach the gospel, heal the sick, you know, cast out demons, that kind of thing. So here you get, you got a message and you got miracles. And so it is true. Every time you study the Bible, every time God gives someone a message or gives a group a message, he gives them the responsibility of a message and he gives them the authority to demonstrate it. Now here's where it gets dicey. And this is what I gathered when he said that. Just about every Protestant evangelical church today they would tell you our mission is the great co-mission. So good, Jesus. What did we say? God works with people. That's why it's a co-mission. Co-labor. Together. Right? What is the Great Commission? To preach the message. Isn't that right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Everywhere in the Bible... When Jesus gives the responsibility of delivering a message, he gives the authority to demonstrate its power. Why did he stop with the great commission? And if it's a commission and all we're supposed to do is deliver a message, do we need him? It could just be our mission. But he says, no, it's a commission. The Lord working with you. Well, why do we need the Lord working with us? Because he wants to do something we can't do without him. We are natural. He is supernatural. We are limited. He is all-powerful. And the point that I'm making, that, that I believe, that I believe this theologian, without knowing it, I thought he made the greatest argument against what he was actually saying, and that is this. If God has anointed you with a message, he has anointed you with the power and authority to demonstrate it. If God has anointed us to preach the gospel, then he has anointed us to love without condition. He has anointed us to have joy even when circumstance isn't the best. He has anointed us to have peace even when we don't understand everything. But he has also anointed us to pray and be obedient and trust and believe and see the supernatural power of God. You remember, you remember we were talking about two weeks ago how there was so much experience of people saying they had seen a miracle or they had witnessed a miracle or they had experienced a miracle. And I kind of gave some research, pew form research for that. Do you know one thing every miracle I've ever heard of has in common? 
And it will be true of whatever miracle you're thinking about right now. Every miracle, every miracle you can think of, every miracle you've seen, experienced, or heard of, let me tell you one common denominator. There was a human involved. Somebody prayed. Somebody believed. Somebody was obedient. Right? Someone stood in faith. Why? Because it's a commission. God just doesn't do random acts of godness. The all-powerful creator of heaven and earth wants to work in this creation. And he does supernatural things, but he will only do them with or through his people. And so ultimately, if we want to see those supernatural things, we have to engage. And I think in some ways, and I'm using a little hyperbole, but I want to make a point. I think in some ways, Satan has propagated the doctrine of the sovereignty of God to get us to disengage from our part of the equation. Because the only time Jesus couldn't do mighty miracles is when there was no one who would believe him. It's the only time. And what does that tell you? It tells you the great commission really is a commission. And based on the, on the data, if you will, based on the events of the Bible, anytime God entrusts you with the responsibility to take a message, then he entrusts you with the authority to demonstrate that message. And I believe God is stirring the church again to re-engage in the area of supernatural things. Is God going to heal every time we pray? I don't know. I mean, probably not. I'll be honest with you. I wish that every person I prayed for for the rest of my life would be healed instantly or every miracle I asked God for would be accomplished. But here's what I need to understand is that my responsibility is not to control the results. My responsibility is to trust, believe, and be obedient and pray. And if the church will return to that, say, God, we believe you do miracles. And you know what? We believe you do miracles through your church. And let's go a little bit farther. What if we could hear here? God, I believe you could do a miracle through my life. What if every person in our church believed that God could do a miracle through their life, through their prayer, through their obedience, through their trust, like, do you believe that? It's okay if you're like, I don't know. I don't know. That's, you know, as a pastor, that's a lot. I understand. I understand. But the Bible says that Elijah was a man just like you. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and the rain stopped for over three years. And then he prayed again that it would rain, and the rain started again. And James makes the point he was a man. Just like you. And I'm telling you, God will do miracles today through people just like you. Amen. Can you give God praise today? Why don't you stand with me? <laughs> I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come. And uh, we want to pray for anyone who needs a miracle today. And that could be a healing. It could it, it certainly need a touch in my body, absolutely. But it could be any situation. And, and it could be a big miracle, but it could be hey, any area where you can't do it, where God has to intervene. That's a miracle. And we would love to pray for you today if you need a miracle. And I've been asking God all day, God, will you do miracles today? We do miracles through your church today. We do miracles through your body today. And then, Pathway, I want us to set our expectation that, hey, I'm, I'm not here to control the outcome. I may pray for a thousand people and never see a breakthrough like what I believe, but on a thousand and one, I might. And if I saw one miracle for every thousand prayers, 
I just keep praying. Are you with me? Because God didn't put me in charge of results. He put me in charge of faith and trust and prayer and belief. And that's what I want us to do. Say, God, we believe you can do the supernatural. We believe you can do the impossible. We believe you can heal, set free, deliver. We believe you can provide. We believe you can do all those things. And God, I believe you could even use me today to do a miracle. And let's just see what God does with our lives. Will you bow your heads? Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you so much for meeting us here today. God, ultimately, I I believe. God, you can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God, the way you do supernatural things is with and through us. Lord, I pray our church would just believe. Not necessarily say we're going to understand. Lord, we'll never understand everything, but we can understand enough to believe. That's where faith takes over. And God, we believe you do the impossible. We believe you do the supernatural. We believe that you work in and through our lives. We believe that you're more than able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. Lord, today we pray, Lord, do miracles in our church, in our body, in in, in our city, in our nation. God, do miracles in and through our lives. Use us. Lord, today if there are people in this service, God, who need a miracle, God, I pray it would be done right now, God, that you would work in their lives. We bring it to you and say, God, we're trusting and believing, and you've asked us to have faith, and you've asked us to pray, and you've asked us to trust you, and that's what we're doing. And God, I pray that you would would do the unimaginable. God, I just thank you again for your faithfulness and your goodness. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? God is so good. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.